Ludlow and the Doctor. Hey Who fans, this is the Big Blue Box podcast episode 10. Thank you very, very much for joining me. I hope you've all had a good couple of weeks. It's been crazy with uh, Who News um, over the last 10 days, I guess. Um, all centred around Series 8 and Peter Capaldi and Jenna Coleman and so on. So Who Mania is all around uh, the new stuff, rightly so. I'm going to take you through a few of those newsy bits in our news roundup. Then we're going to smash in with the TARDIS talk, talking about some uh, 10th anniversary stuff, as in 10th anniversary of 2005, the re, uh, rejuvenation. And on the retrospective for this episode, we're going to bring back some classic stuff some of you will be happy to know. Uh, so let's get into episode 10. So first up for the news um, for this episode, it's going to be, like I said, it's mainly around um, uh, some of the newer stuff um, leading up to Deep Breath, um, which is really close now. It's almost scarily close, as in, ah, like exciting, crazy, even when you just mention it and you start talking about it with people, you've got that sense of excitement and uh, anticipation coming through. It's very, very cool. In fact, I can't remember, I don't remember... A series of Doctor Who, as much as a build of a build-up, as we're having right now for series eight. Um, I remember when uh, Chris Eccleston, although oh, this is so, well, it's not really bad, but you know, I'm, I'm a, like I've said before, I'm a relatively new uh, Doctor Who fan, and I wasn't watching the show when it came back in two thousand and five. However, I do remember um, quite a lot of news around the uh, Chris Eccleston. Uh, leaving the show and David Tennant, that whole regeneration thing. And I also remember um, the David Tennant regeneration to Matt Smith. Um, But I don't remember this much hype. I don't remember um, red carpet events, world tours, uh, global simulcasts, uh, Q&As, cinema viewings, all that kind of stuff. I don't remember that. Please tell me if I'm wrong. If you know of any, uh, I know there's been like Doctor Who parties and there's been uh, small Doctor Who events at select cinemas, more sort of the more small independent cinemas and stuff. I'm I'm aware of those because I've been to a couple myself, but I'm not aware of this huge global phenomenon that Doctor Who has has grown into because um, with the Matt Smith series, um, I mean, it all started when David, I think halfway through David Tennant's tenure, it really, um, it really propelled uh, globally. Um, at that point and um, and Matt Smith took that and took it to another level but this just seems to be crazy like stupid crazy however it's great for Doctor Who more exposure more stuff which means that the Doctor um, which means that the BBC um, are less likely to cancel it (laughs) so that's all good Um, anything that's cool um, globally for Doctor Who that raises awareness that makes the BBC aware of just how I mean I'm sure they are but you know just aware of how important the show is makes us less likely to have a um, Colin Baker uh, repeat. Uh, so yeah, um, so first bit of news, Series 8. Um, the first episode, Deep Breath, uh, we've now got a confirmed time. So the date we've known for a while, so Saturday the 23rd of August. Ah, it's so close. Nine days. I'm recording this podcast on Thursday, Thursday evening, the 14th of August in the UK. Um so it's literally nine days, nine days away. That's crazy. So Saturday, the 23rd of August, and it will air in the UK on BBC One at 7.50pm. Obviously, it wouldn't go out at 7.50 in the morning. So I didn't need to say PM, but me anyway, 7.50pm. I just said it again. Saturday, the 23rd of August, 7.50, BBC One. Um, and uh, our friends over in the US, you'll be able to see it very very shortly after um so you well uk time i think i don't actually is this uk time um all i know is in the us it's airing at 8 15 so i don't know if that is 
um, our version of 8.15. So when we hit 8.15, it then starts to air, which I can't see that because it'll be lunchtime for you guys in the US. So lots of waffle about time. Timey Wow, what a timey-wimey episode. Sorry about that. Yeah, so 8.15 in the US, in the evening your time, I guess, you'll be able to see it. Um, unless there is some crazy um, simulcast, iPlayer, internet sorcery going on that you guys be able to get up and watch it, which would be cool if you do. You can join in a discussion on the many forums and Twitter and all that kind of jazz, because that will suck quite a bit, won't it, let's be honest. If our, our buddies over in the US... Um, if you start to see all of our uh, messages and tweets and blog posts and everything like that before you've even seen the episode, that's going to be a bit sucky. Yeah, so maybe get up and try and see it online somewhere. I'm sure it's going to be on iPlayer shortly after or whatever. Don't know. But yeah, so deep breath. Um, uh, Saturday the 23rd. Nine days. Ah! Nine days. Really looking forward to it. Um, leading on from that, We've got the official synopsis now from the BBC. And it goes thus. When the Doctor arrives in Victorian London, he finds a dinosaur rampant in the Thames and a spate of deadly spontaneous combustions. End of synopsis. And I think we can kind of see that from the trailer as well. Um, The uh, trailer for Deep Breath has been... I think this is the third trailer they've put up out now in total for the BBC um, on their YouTube channel. And um, so this one's a bit cut down, but it does give you the gist of what is going on. The doctor needs us, you more than anyone. Lay the carriage, now! The question is, have there been any similar murders? The doctor, what's he doing here? There is trouble. Where else would he be? You've redecorated. I don't like it. Doctor Who, Saturday, 23rd of August on BBC One. Ooh. Even the guy doing the, um, doing the sign-off sounds excited. Doctor Who, this Saturday. Well, he didn't really sound like that, but <laughs> he sounded excited. Well, I think underneath, I think internally he was excited. You know, didn't jump around and go, ah! But there was some excitement there, I'm sure. So that's the uh, the trailer for for um for Deep Breath, the latest one. I'm, I'm sure that'll be the last one now. Because um, I don't think they can fit any more into a trailer, to be honest, without giving some really big uh, story points away. Um, Yeah, I think that's going to be the last one. It's very cool. It's quite short. I think the first one that they put out was the Doctor kind of holding on to the rails in the TARDIS and like an x-ray view you could see in his internal organs and stuff like that and there was fireworks and explosions as there usually is in the TARDIS these days and we heard the voice of Davros and the Daleks and stuff and I think the second trailer was just slightly longer than the one that they've just put out so this one they've just done is just under 30 seconds and I think the second trailer was a bit longer but yeah it looks very cool really really looking forward to the start of series eight it feels like it doesn't feel like it's been that long a gap you know I don't know if that's just me. Oh, do you know what it was? Probably from the last series, uh, series seven with Matt Smith, because they put that damn break in the middle. It felt like that series just went on for you know forever. But it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like there's been that big a time between um, the Christmas special with Matt Smith um, regenerating up to now. I know it's only eight months, you know, which is kind of well. It's not mega long, I guess, but yeah, it's long enough. It's long enough. But now we're here and it's almost upon us. It does feel quite short. I think because the BBC have put out so much information and tidbits and it's been hyped up and everything like that, it's kind of been in your face constantly. You know, even though it's not been on TV, it's been very, you know, there's been a lot of Doctor Who stuff going on. So and on the back of the um, coming off the back of the 50th as well, you know, where the whole world just went who crazy for the last half of the year. You know, it doesn't feel like there's been much of a wind down into uh, 2014. But, you know, it's all good. It's all good. Um, next bit of news bits. The um, uh, the old uh, Twitter guides have recruited Jenna Coleman officially onto Twitter. Now, I don't know if they recruited her personally. Um, it's not like a 
invite-only scheme. Anyone can join Twitter. It just it's taken her a long time uh, to get on board. And it's quite convenient that she's joined Twitter now while she's on the world tour. For do- oh, it just sounds ridiculous. Does that sound a little bit ridiculous to you guys? She's officially joined Twitter while they're on their world tour promotion for Doctor Who. That's a bit nuts. But yeah, you can follow Jenna Coleman. It's at Jenna underscore Coleman underscore. Bit weird. There's nothing under the last underscore. So at Jenna underscore Coleman underscore. And there you go. She doesn't tweet very often. She's put a couple of pics on there, a couple of messages, and that's it. But it does seem like a bit of a, not a cash cow, but a bit of a a coincidence, a bit of a timey-wimey coincidence that she's never once been interested in Twitter at all. And now that she's on the world tour and the BBC needs to generate as much publicity as possible before the start of Series 8, she magically appears on Twitter. But I'm not sure how long that will last. I don't even know if it's her tweeting. You never know with these um, celebrity accounts, do you? I know some of them are very are very personal and real to some celebrities. Um, I follow Simon Pegg, and he very much, there's nobody tweeting on his account. It's very personal to him and his buddy Nick Frost as well. And I think Stephen, didn't Stephen Moffat have a a Twitter account for a while, but then cancelled it because he wasn't, he was just distracted by it most of the day, apparently, where he was tweeting stuff out and the whole world just descended and just gave him some stick over certain Doctor Who stuff or showed him some love for whatever. He just couldn't keep up with it and it was distracting him from his writing. So, yeah, not sure. And then Doctor Who stars, I know David Tennant is very much not opposed to to being on Twitter, he just doesn't really care for it. Um, and there's loads of fake Doctor, um, there's loads of fake David Tennant accounts, same on Facebook and stuff. Chris Eccleston, I'm not sure. Let me let me know, guys, if he's on there. Matt Smith, I've not seen any official stuff for him. Uh, I know that Matt Smith's mum is on Twitter because she occasionally posts pictures of Matt Smith doing the Christmas dinner and the washing up and all that kind of stuff, stuff that the BBC wouldn't put out. So, yeah, so Jenna Coleman is on Twitter. Go and follow her and uh, maybe see if she actually personally tweets stuff, which would be cool. Maybe we'll get some cool uh, behind-the-scenes photos from her or set pics, whatever. But, yeah, at Jenna underscore Coleman underscore. Cool. And last bit of news. This is quite an interesting one, actually. Um, the There's been a casting call put out for... Um, a, a, a very interesting and kind of out of left field uh, Doctor Who film. Now it's not a typical Doctor Who film. It's not a um, it's not a, a a film that's going to be made like from the TV series and now going to produce a big feature length film. It's not a docudrama or docu. Well, it is a kind of docudrama, I guess. Well, I guess it will be. And it's about a film called The Letter, and it's based on the early life of Tom Baker. And this only surfaced online, I think it was hmm, maybe a week ago, 10 days ago, where we didn't find out about the project itself online. It wasn't announced or anything like that. The only thing we saw was a casting call um, for the role of Tom Baker. And now more details have come to light and so on. And um, yeah, so as far as I can gather, uh, the... The setup, I mean, certainly the title is, is kind of self-explanatory because those of you who know the the background to Tom Baker and how he got the role um, of Doctor Who, he was essentially um, working as a builder. Uh, he was just doing labouring and groundwork and stuff uh, on a building site. And he just, you know, on the off chance, just sent a letter in to the BBC um, inquiring about... Y- you know, acting and being in, you know, in the role. And amazingly, um, it kind of, I don't know, I don't know how the exact details, but it paid off for him. And so he went from being a builder to the doctor, which is ace. That's really cool. And a similar thing happened to um, Harrison Ford uh, when when he started acting. Before he was Han Solo, uh, he had a role in um, George Lucas's first kind of commercial uh, movie um, called American Graffiti and he wasn't doing he was a carpenter he was again like in the building trade and that sort of thing and just happened to 
you know, really wanted to be an actor and, you know, somehow, you know, just got his foot in the door. So I've got a load of respect for um for actors and actresses that that get into the industry that way. Um there seems to be less kind of less of a pompous, you know, uh nature about them. And uh, those of you that have met Tom Baker in real life, you'll know just how gracious he is and how open and understanding he is with giving people his time and so on. So yeah, I'm really I'm really up for this um this this documentary or docudrama. I'm not sure which route they're going to go down, but I imagine it's going to be in a very similar ilk to uh, an adventure in space and time. I can't see the um, the production value being super high like it was on an adventure in space and time however um this does uh this does look like a very cool idea and i'm guessing that the the main reason for doing this um for doing this film is because it's such a it's it's such an interesting and you know out of out of the norm way for for a person to get into acting and not only for someone you know doing that leading that life of just being an everyday guy on a building site, not only getting into acting, but landing such an iconic role as a doctor. So I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be cool. I'll keep you guys updated when I hear more about this. But um, yeah, it sounds very cool. So that wraps up the news. Uh, so let's grab um, the TARDIS and get into TARDIS talk. So TARDIS Talk, this episode, is going to be around something that I've been thinking about um, after I read a certain um, very short snippet of news uh, with Mr. Stephen Moffat. And it centres around the upcoming 10th anniversary of the, the comeback of Doctor Who. Now, as we know, the Doctor has been back on our screens. It will be 10 years next year. So 2005, um, Russell T. Davis... Julie Gardner and everyone else um, brought back Doctor Who to BBC One with Chris Eccleston and Billy Piper and it's kind of just exploded from there on and I, I think I remember reading an interview or watching a video interview with Russell T Davis um, and he was saying he said that I'm not going to quote here but you know he basically said he'll be very surprised if they got 10 years out of it so it's pretty amazing that for a show that's been around for so long um, and has been cancelled a couple of times and now, you know, it's a big chance, a really big... It was it was a lot riding on, on the show coming back in 2005. But it's still here and it's bigger than ever. So Tyler's talk this episode is basically going to be around, you know, the question to myself, which is, should the BBC celebrate officially the 10th anniversary of Doctor Who coming back? More importantly, should there be any kind of uh, special episode or any kind of special uh, webisode, anything like that, by the Doctor, um, by the BBC or Stephen Moffat, whatever. Now, I can already hear in my headphones you guys screaming at your MP3 player or your computer or whatever you're listening to. No, no, it's ridiculous. Why would you do that? And you know, to be honest with you, I felt. I've kind of felt like that for a while. When I thought about the 10th anniversary stuff, I kind of felt like that. It was a bit like, you know, do we really need to celebrate that it's been on for 10 years? You know, do we really need to go mad? You know, because let, let's look at a couple of things. First of all, we've only just had the 50th anniversary celebrations. Um, and that's that was huge. You know, that was there was so much going on and there was so much of it in the media and everywhere not just in the UK, but you know, globally, it was just crazy. So the last six months of 2013 were just amazing, so good, um, and you know that was only, you know, when the 10th anniversary rolls around next year, the 50th have only been a couple of years ago. So is it still is that still going to be fresh in people's mind? You know. Let's look at the the polls as well. The the official Doctor Who magazine, the poll that they ran a few months ago. The the day of the Doctor came in at number one. So it's obviously the whole kind of fiftieth thing is still, you know, fresh in people's minds. And I'm sure it still is right now. I know that when I talk about Doctor Who, 
And if I'm talking about it with just friends at work or whatever on online, I still now reference things quite recent from the 50th anniversary, like an adventure in space and time or going to the proms or whatever. So it's still fresh kind of in my mind as well when I'm just, you know, talking generally about Doctor Who. But is it too soon after the big 50th celebration? Not too sure. The second thing to consider is if we look at the actual show itself in 2005, um, the, the, the actor Chris Eccleston, who was the doctor at the time, I think it's a pretty safe bet that you're not going to get him to do anything for a 10th anniversary. Because if you're going to bring, if you're going to, if the BBC are going to bring some kind of celebration, either to a kind of special TV episode or a documentary or a webisode or something, surely it has to feature Chris Eccleston somewhere. Because if it wasn't for him, I mean, I'm, it's, it's a bit much to say if it wasn't for him, then we wouldn't have the show now because that's incorrect. Because if he didn't take on the role, I'm sure there would have been, a, you know, an able actor, you know, just as good as Chris Eccleston to have done it and would still be here. Possibly, I'm not sure. But seeing as he was the guy that that took took the big chance, because it wasn't just the BBC taking a chance with this. The actors as well put their, not their careers on the line, but it was a bit of a, nobody knew how how the public would take to Doctor Who again. Nobody knew, you know, it was still very, still very popular for people, but kind of niche, if you know what I mean. Within within sci-fi on TV, it was very niche because it was always viewed as just an old, you know, an old, you know, typically British sci-fi thing that not many people were kind of, you know, into because at the time there was very modern science fiction that's been around for a few years already. So nobody really knew, you know, how much it would, and no, certainly nobody knew how much of a success it would be and how huge it would be. So Chris Eccleston and Billy Piper, I mean, more so Chris Eccleston, who'd been around acting for, you know, quite a lot longer than Billy Piper. It was kind of a risk for him as well, because if it was a massive flop, then, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that there would have been a little bit of finger pointing in his direction. So, you know, would it, would there be any possibility of getting him back to do something? I mean, for me, if he was to come back and do some kind of, even if it was just a, a, a 10 minute webisode, like Paul McGann did for the 50th, I mean, that was just incredible. I mean, that just came out of nowhere. That was so cool when the Paul McGann webisode um, surfaced. I think I watched it like 20 odd times in the end. It was, it was amazing. So that that was all that was needed. It didn't, I mean, don't get me wrong. It would have been great to have a, a feature-length episode with Paul McGann because I love his. I love Paul McGann as the Doctor. I really, really do. And although I'm not a huge fan of the movie in terms of its its story and its production and some of the some of the things within the film, I'm not I'm not too much of a fan on. But the majority of the um, Big Finish audio plays that I've got are the Paul McGann ones because I love his just his when he gets into character as a Doctor. It is so good. So it would have been great to have uh, a feature-length um, episode with Paul McGann, but the webisode was all that was needed, you know, and that just went nuts. That just went nuts, and that everyone, if you look at, if you go back and look at all of the conventions that he went to after that webisode went out, that's all people were talking about. He just got question after question all about that webisode, so people loved it. So can we see Chris Eggleston coming back and doing, even if it's just a short webisode, I don't think so. He's distanced himself so much from the show since then. I honestly, in so much doubt, and I, I know that Stephen Moffat met up with Chris Eccleston to chat about the 50th before it went into production, and he still said no. He was still like, no, 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 I don't want anything to do with it. And I think he's been approached before. Could you just hit me up on Twitter or Facebook about that? I'm sure that Chris Eccleston has been approached before then to do something with Doctor Who when he turned that down. So he's also turned down the 50th. So it's a pretty good chance that he'll turn down a 10th anniversary thing. Like I said, I'm not quite sure what would be cool around that. Some kind of documentary or, you know, I'm 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 99% sure that they're not going to go all out and do an hour-long special like they did for the 50th. I think that's a bit of a long shot. But it would be cool if they did something. Now that, that's going to, 
that's going to lead me on to my my kind of uh, my own opinion on this and that is it would be cool to do something because let's face it it was it was quite a big event when it came back in 2005 especially for fans of the show it would kind of come out of the dark times if you like it seems to be quite common where especially in sci-fi where you have a kind of a, a really good start and then you have a much improved um, uh, series or a few series you know as time goes by then you have like a dip not much happens and you have a cancellation a few years later it comes back and um and Doctor Who kind of fits that formula as well, where it started strong, it was very successful, and then just improved and improved. You know, Patrick Trout, and it got better. Uh, John Pertwee and Tom Baker, it just soared. Um, but then it, you know, it kind of started to go a little bit, um, and it just kind of had little peaks and troughs since then and just tapered off. And then we had like this, you know, quite a few years gap in between. That you know the dark times, if you like, where there wasn't any Doctor Who on TV, certainly. So, you know, Doctor Who fans had to make do with um, magazines, and you know, f- there wasn't really much going on on the internet back then either. So, in two thousand and five, when it came back, it was mega, mega well received. You know, it was, it was, it was big news. Doctor Who was big news again, and it. You know, I've spoken on this podcast before about um, the episode Rose, episode one, um, when it came back. And that show, when it came back in 2005, was exactly what that show needed to be at the time. And um, and it was just, it was so good. I mean, when I picked up the box set of series one, when I got into Doctor Who a few years after 2005, I could not put it down. It was so good. And I really like Chris. He's not my favourite Doctor, but I really like uh, Chris Eccleston. I think it's a a bit of a shame that we didn't get to see more of him, which is why it would be so cool if he came back and just... Because I I do find it strange about Chris Eccleston where in the interviews where he's been questioned about Doctor Who and he hasn't got too humpy and miserable when he realises he's being questioned about Doctor Who... He, he does actually say that he's extremely proud of what they did for, for um, Series 1. He's extremely proud, really happy with what they achieved. But it just doesn't really show. It, do, it doesn't show through enough because he distances himself so much from the show. He literally to the point where he doesn't want anything to do with it at all. Now, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Billy Piper would be up for something. You know, because she's very much involved in the whole doctor who thing still she still goes to conventions and and talks at panels and signs and stuff as 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 rose she's still very much into it and she came back for the 50th but i can't see chris elkerson but it would be cool if he did it would be very cool to just be like right i've kind of shunned you guys for for a few years now well for 10 years i've not i've not put my ass back in the tardis i've not done any anything at all for you guys other than ask a few basic questions in interviews over the years. How cool will it be for him to come back and do something? Because we've got that whole period where that can be visited and expanded upon after his regeneration from the War Doctor. So when we first... So in the in the day of the Doctor where, where John Hurt's uh, Doctor, you know, at the end when he goes into the TARDIS and starts to regenerate... From there, we don't see we don't see or hear anything at all, other than when we see the the Doctor um, in the episode Rose meet up with Rose, and uh, and that's it. So there's that whole that whole period where we've got a fresh new Doctor straight out of a regeneration, and we don't know anything about it. So that would be really really cool to expand on that little time period. Well, I say little, whatever time period that is, whether it's a couple of years or a couple of hundred years for the Doctor, I'm not sure. But that would be very cool because he's just come out of. Because at the end of the day of the Doctor, he does say that he won't remember everything that's gone on in that episode. And as far as he knows, he was responsible for the destruction of Gallifrey. Or at least he was responsible for or or he's still, you know, mentally wounded from the time war. So 
the Chris Eccleston doctor, which would be fresh out of regeneration, was still, you know, he still regenerated out of that dark time and that very, you know, that war-ridden time and stuff. So he would be quite a very a very different doctor to, you know, to what they are now. So I'd be really interested to see how that would how that would actually pan out and his experiences and how he, you know, just what he's been up to in that period between his regeneration and meeting Rose. So not sure about you guys, how you feel about that. But, you know, should the BBC do something for a 10th anniversary of the 2005 comeback? Um, personally, I think they should, but I don't think they should go to overkill. And uh, And just lastly... I think the BBC are a little bit a little bit crazy and overkill with their marketing and trying to squeeze as much as humanly possible out of Doctor Who these days. So I can kind of see I wouldn't be surprised if there was something. I, I'm not like I said, I'm not sure what my ideally for me, I would like to see a ten minute webisode starring Chris Eccleston straight out of regeneration from the War Doctor up to meeting Rose. That, for me, would be all that's needed. They wouldn't have to invest in a big production 10th anniversary like they did with the 50th. It would just be really cool to have a webisode like they did with Paul McGann. And that would, you know, lead us nicely into Doctor Who. And there may be a couple of a couple of documentaries, you know, cobbled together from the Doctor Who confidential stuff around when Russell T. Davis was bringing the show back and some David Tennant stuff and and some Matt Smith bits and all that kind of stuff. Um, so let me know what you guys think. Um, show me a, send me a short yes or no <laughs> on Twitter um, at Big Blue Box Pcast, uh, or jump on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Big Blue Box Podcast and just let me know what you guys think. Should we have a, a 10th anniversary uh, special of Doctor Who? So that was TARDIS talk. Hoping it rambled too much for you guys. And um, yeah, let's get back into the retrospectives. We're going to go classic. So we're going to go back to Tom Baker years on this one. We're going to go back to 1975. And uh, this will be uh, Tom Baker's Planet of Evil. Emergency materialization. There it is. Zeta Minor. Last planet of a known universe. Full-scale exploitation of this planet will provide us with perpetual energy. I've made the greatest discovery in scientific history. Now listen to me, please. You're tampering with hideously dangerous forces. Dangerous. There is no antimatter aboard this ship. And I tell you, there is. You mean things can get worse? Give me order! Doctor! Yes, I know. I'll take care. You have ceased to exist. Planet of Evil. Tom Baker. Hmm. I kind of like this one. I thought this one was pretty cool. Um, I wasn't I wasn't a huge fan of um one aspect of the story, which I'll come on to in a, in, a, in a minute. But overall, I thought it was quite cool. It's one of those uh, stories where it's got quite a good supporting cast. There are a couple of uh, couple of actors within uh, the, um, aboard the crew um, of this uh, ship that the Doctor and, and Sarah Jane get, uh, get accosted to, um, which are very cool. There's a good kind of um, almost... Uh, kind of necessary power struggle between two members and I, I like Doctor Who stories where there's a really good cast and there's been a couple of standout uh, Doctor Who stories from the Tom Baker era which have had superb um, absolutely superb um, supporting cast uh, a few that spring to mind would be Pyramids of Mars uh, Genesis of the Daleks all really really good um stories featuring some great cast supporting cast members as well as Tom Baker obviously and um Elizabeth Sladen and 
so this this story it's kind of the what it's one of those stories really where it it's fairly it's fairly predictable and what i mean by that is there isn't anything there aren't any really big twists or or cliffhangers or or plot reveals that that you just didn't see coming it, it's one of those stories where you know it even starts out quite predictably you know in doctor who at the time where the the doctor and companion in the tardis receive a distress call and away they go and you know it's going to you know that it's not going to end badly for them but you know it's going to be a bit of a slog for the main part until they save the day at the end so it's kind of got that kind of predictable nature about it and so you know the basic setup is the that they receive a distress call um from a planet called zeta minor um, which happens to be right on the edge of the known universe and there's already been a a scientific crew uh, on the uh, on the planet already because they uh, the the home planet um of Marestra um is apparently you know run out of natural resources and so you know that their scientists have gone out to try and research and find an alternative to um to their own uh, fossil fuels i guess so this one guy has ended up on zeta minor and he thinks he's found some very cool um uh some very cool um fuel if you like or fuel replacement um from some of the um from some of the rocks on zeta minor but what he doesn't know is that there's um these rocks are actually antimatter or they contain um antimatter and so the planet itself is because it's on the edge of the well i'm guessing anyway because it's on the edge of the known universe um, it hasn't been researched that well. Not much is known about it. So these scientists, are, you know, think that they're just harmlessly taking rocks away and stuff. And it kind of deals with this thing of antimatter, which has been around in science for many years, but it's always been viewed upon as a very, um, it's very theory based and it's not conclusive and stuff like that. So um, the writers of Doctor Who at the time, uh, so uh, Lewis Marx and uh, Robert Holmes, they kind of they kind of twist this kind of antimatter story and stuff into making it an evil force, if you like. Well, not an evil force, but, you know, the repercussions are are, are deadly if you mess with antimatter. And it's, um, yeah, so it's basically, the, the setup of the story is that at the start, they land on this planet where a scientific crew has already been there, but they've been slowly, you know, killed. Uh, so the Doctor and Sarah Jane, they investigate, but the... The bigger ship crew arrive, take them as prisoners, but people are still dying. So the Sarah, uh, so the Doctor and Sarah Jane escape. Bit of investigation, they get taken prisoner again. A bit of to and fro him until it slowly comes to light that you, know, that you know the Doctor's fully aware of what's going on, and you know the mad scientist kind of guy. He's you know he's been exposed to this antimatter. It's inside him, so he goes a bit crazy. Uh, the doctor obviously knows this, but the crew won't listen because they think they're just uh, just stupid prisoners, basically. More to in and throw in, and then the doctor kind of convinces them or convinces one of the crew members that he's making sense. And uh, and in the end, nobody, the, what the main, none of the main characters um, actually kind of die. It's more like some of the lesser minions, if you like, they kind of get killed off. But yeah, it's um. And then they kind of live happily ever after, after the doctor's kind of brainwash this guy a little bit at the end. Um, so that's the kind of the basics of the story. Uh, and yeah, I, 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 I really liked it. I mean, I, don't get me wrong, it wasn't one of those stories where I tuned out and zoned out while I was watching it because it didn't grab my attention enough, which has happened very, very rarely, I must say, with, with anything to do with Doctor Who. But I, I was kind of hooked by this i did want to see what's going on it's um it does lead quite nicely and and it's one of those cool stories as well. i like i like these doctor who serials that are four to six episodes long i think that's a good time to kind of uh to kind of get into it. it's just under an hour they're like 25 minutes each 
um, these four episodes. And um, so it's basically basically an hour. It's it's pretty good. And I, I like the I like I really like Tom Baker in this. There was a, there were, there are a few scenes where he's got that classic crazy bulbous eyes look going on in a few scenes and um you know he's you know he's he's placid and he's funny and you know all the things that make tom baker you know perfect for this role he he brings out in this story and sarah jane um liz laden she she's pretty cool she's not at her best in this i don't think she doesn't really do a great deal um she just kind of you know follows the doctor everywhere and tells him what's going on really it's like, she, it's like his own personal commentator um so she doesn't really do a great deal but she's still quite cool in this but the not problem that i've got but the thing that i didn't really take away as as that that good from this episode was was the 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 monster in this i found it to be very uh very lackluster in its execution and you know basically all it is is just uh um, a monster, an almost invisible monster, um, derived from antimatter, uh, that just can just drain drain lives of, of of people, and it doesn't really it doesn't really do much. It doesn't really make you know that much of an appearance too much. It doesn't really go. We don't really find out exactly what the monster's origins are. We don't exactly know, you know, what it's what it's about. You know, it's up. I'm assuming that it's the motives for him, you know, for this monster killing um, people is that it's just not too fond of, you know, alien beings being on the planet in the first place and is certainly not okay with um, anyone taking um, samples containing antimatter off the planet. So uh, it's very simplistic in its execution and, you know, you can't really, you can't really fault the effects. I mean, it was obviously... At the time, uh, back in 1975, when you were watching it fresh, it was probably, oh, wow, wow, that looks very cool. They've kind of got this overlay thing going on with, like, um, they've kind of drained out all the colour and oversaturated the red, so it looks like it's this red kind of thing wardling around. It's very slow and, you know, it doesn't really do much. And that was my only issue, I guess, with the story, was that there wasn't much going on in terms of we didn't we didn't really know what was going on with the monster it was just kind of there you know as part of the planet i guess um but one thing that i did like about this episode and one thing that's always struck me as really really well written episodes is when you have a lot of internal friction within the cast and i've spoken about this episode before um on the podcast and that is um the david tennant episode midnight where essentially all it is, it's just a bunch of people trapped on a ship and the entire episode pretty much is just the internal friction and play between the characters. And there's kind of an element, you know, and I'm pretty sure that, you know, Russell T. Davis or Stephen Moffat have have pulled inspiration from episodes like this where it's not so much the monster that's the main threat sometimes. It's really about human nature and um, power struggles and, and trust and that sort of thing. And uh, yeah, so there is there is a cool little um, there is a cool little uh, heated conversation between some of the crew in um, Planet of Evil. We had been wasting our time down there. They caused it all. How could they have caused this? We were with them. Attention, all crewmen, report to assembly point immediately. Red alert. Red alert. Countermanded. Only I can give a red alert. It's too late for any more mistakes, Salomar. I'm taking command. You'll regret this. You'll regret this. It's very much, um, it's very, it's very kind of typical British for the time, where you've got people raising their voices and screaming in each other's face, and it's really cool. <laughs> it's really cool to see that kind of internal friction. And uh, the power struggles, and for me that makes a really good Doctor Who episode. So I'm I was I'm glad that that because sometimes you see it's like the you know the 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 Doctor and his companion are investigating something, then this big kind of corporation or something turns up, 
and it's got that very uh, plasticky, you know, non... Um, I'm trying to think of a word to describe this now. It's got that very cold, uh, non-organic feel to it. You know, it's like um, it's like the corporation or this company or the military, or whatever. You know, in some episodes, are just there for the sake of it, really. And you don't really find out, you know, what what's going on. Whereas episodes like this, there's actually a lot of emotion running through the episode. A lot of, you know, because at the end of the day, these these crew members are being killed slowly and you know there's the the captain of the ship who you know he really really doesn't want to trust the doctor you know as far as he sees it the doctor is the bad guy he's the prisoner his his companion is the bad guy or the bad girl so you know they're they're there to to cause trouble not to be trusted you know he's very much following protocol and that sort of thing whereas he's kind of second in command i guess uh is very um is very, you know, he doesn't see things in black and white. You know, it's not just the doctor's bad or good. You know, he sees in shades of grey and he understands a bit more what's going on and begins to trust the doctor. And, you know, he's, he can see he can see through what's going on. And I, like I said, I really like how things like that are written into these episodes. Um, Production-wise, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, it's got the classic, you know stuff that we all love about this era of Doctor Who. So it's got very, very flimsy sets. Um, there's a there's a scene where you see the side of the ship and um, the kind of steps, if you like, or the, um, the walkway gets lowered down. But, you know, the way that it's lowered down is like um, there's like a, 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 a fisheye hook in the ceiling with some some string around it. And um, you can you can tell that it's being lowered down, you know, manually by people. And when the crewmen start to walk down the, the walkway, because the string is in a triangle, they can't really walk through it that well. Um, and then there are things like inside the ship, they're on there's like a mezzanine section where um, the captain sits up there, and that's a bit shaky at times. And there's also a strange um, there's a strange couple of scenes where when they're outside on the planet, which is all like this kind of surreal, um, very sci-fi looking forest. And, you know, it's all very pink and red and purple and stuff. There's, um, there's this, I think it's, it lasts for about five minutes where it looks like the, it looks like the stock, the, the, the TV stock camera footage is really downgraded because, or that particular scene has been lost so they've had to insert like a real rough cut into the in the episode all it is it's just where uh, the doctor and sarah jane are uh, are running through the woods basically and hiding from from this monster and just that particular section which i think it lasts for about 5 minutes i think it's in the first or the second episode it's incredibly grainy and the color correction is not right and all that kind of stuff i mean it doesn't really detract too much but you can you know, so it, it really is a very big difference between, you know, what you saw before and then you move on to this kind of weird looking, very grainy, um, unfinished, um, uncorrected bit of footage. But other than that, it wasn't too bad. Like I said, the, the monster creature effects were were okay-ish for the time. It's pretty good. Um it worked far better than the Loch Ness monster in Terror of the Zygons, anyway, um, which is the the uh, Doctor Who story that I watched a few days ago, um, which I absolutely love, by the way, really, really cool. But the monster effect of the the Loch Ness was, um, yeah. So it wasn't as bad as that, but then again, it wasn't anything great that we've seen before. But then again, you know, this is class, classic Who from the Tom Baker years. And before, and you know, even after that, even up, even stuff in the Sylvester McCoy stuff is very, very questionable in terms of quality, which we can understand because of budgets and all that kind of stuff. But so yeah, so that is Planet of Evil. Um, so really liked it; thought it was quite cool. I really liked Tom Baker in this one; very cool. Um, uh, Liz Sladen, uh, she was good. Not her best um, few episodes, not her best story, but still very good nonetheless. Supporting cast are really good, uh, especially Frederick Jaeger and um, 
uh, Ewan Solon. Really, really good. Overall, I would give Planet of Evil a 7. I think that's a fair score. 7 out of 10. So that is a wrap on episode 10. Thank you very much for sticking with me. It's been really cool giving you guys some news roundups, talking about um, the 10th anniversary next year, potentially, and anything that could come of that, and this episode's retrospective of Planet of Evil. As always, you can find me on all the social networks, mainly Twitter and Facebook. Jump over to Twitter and follow at BigBlueBoxPCast. And you can also find me on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash BigBlueBoxPodcast. You can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes. Just uh, jump into the podcast section and do a search for Big Blue Box Podcast. And if you guys could um, give me a rating and review, that would be really, really great and really helps me out as well. And as usual, you can find these podcasts and all the other previous ones and other bits and pieces over at the website www.bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk. I will see you guys next time for episode 11, but until then, allons-y!